Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. All alive? All kicking? Kick to the person next to you. Anybody rooting for France today? Anybody rooting for Croatia? Yeah, we're, a, we're a Croatian church. There we go. Anybody rooting for Kevin Anderson today? You know, I'd never, uh, confession. I never used to like Kevin Anderson. You know, he's a, he, I always thought he was a bit like Andy Murray, a little bit grumpy on the court, you know? I don't like grumpy people on the court. So, so I thought, ah, oh, yeah, you better have. But, but this Wimbledon, he's really earned, uh, I think, the world's respect. And uh, so first South African in a Wimbledon final for 92 years. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So we should root for him. And so I think if Croatia win the World Cup, then that'll sort Djokovic out. He doesn't need to worry about that. I know he's Serbian, but uh, they're all itches, so it doesn't matter. Just to update you guys, the computer center at Oostrand Secondary School is in the process of being installed and fitted out with some computers and internet access for all the kids at Project Impact, Shine's Project Impact, that are doing mentoring and tutoring with some of the great volunteers from this church who do that. And um, what the computer center is going to enable them to do is to be able to receive tutoring during the week as well. And uh, not only tutoring during the week, but they'll be able to go to that center and they'll have online access to tutoring material. And how many of you know that your world opens up? The world changes dramatically when you have online access. So these uh, kids who come from challenging households are going to have online access, which will take the tutoring to a whole nother level. So Sean's busy with that at the moment. And so I just thought you need to know about that. It's encouraging work that's going on, and if you want to sow into that and invest into Shine, you can do that. You can just get to the info desk, and there's literature there and uh, stuff available that'll show you how to uh, do a debit order there if you wanted to on an ongoing basis to help make people's futures different. Uh, Speaking of different futures, we're hard at work on the cafe as well. You might see it outside. It's being built. It's going to give us another 200 and uh, how many, Pastor Steve? 60. 260 square meters of cafe space. It's going to be beautiful. We've chosen the lighting. It's going to be a beautiful uh, fairy light kind of effect with big, beautiful bulbs and handcrafted furniture and a big pizza counter to go with the pizza oven. And the deck is being built at the moment. And in the wintertime, there'll be beautiful big gas heaters with long flames. And it's just going to be the most epic, epic space. So it's going to be really, really nice. So thank you for sowing and investing continue to do that. It's costing us chobos more money than we thought. And I say chobos because I want to spit every time the bill comes in. So if you want to help fund the cafe and change futures and the conversations that happen in our church, million is spelt M-I-L-L-I-O-N. If you have a spare one of those lying around, we'll take it. I know some of you got money and you're under giving. Come on. You can pay for the cafe just with one fell swoop, just quickly. So what is, I think 10 people in this place today are just going to write out, you know, wonderful checks that are going to sort this out. So there we go. Cool. All of you are clapping, you're going, yeah, I hope it's not me. (laughs) 
Welcome to week one of a brand new series called The Dust From His Feet. Uh, this series title comes from the concept of a first century Jewish disciple and his rabbi. Uh, rabbis in the, in the Jewish times, in Jesus' times, when Jesus walked the earth, rabbis were religious teachers. They would teach students, followers. And what would happen is a rabbi would come, would ascend to like a rabbi status. They would have trained and, and studied sufficiently to become a rabbi. And then they would um, have followers that would attach themselves to that rabbi's teaching. And uh, they would, those followers would follow their rabbi wherever their rabbi went. Whatever he did, they would do. If he got up to make a cup of tea, they got up to make a cup of tea. If he got up to check his Gmail account, uh, they did. If he updated his Facebook status, they would update their Facebook status. If the rabbi got up to go and have a wee, they would get up and go and have a wee. It's actually where um, the concept of women going to the toilet together it actually started. <laughs> Some of you are like, is he serious? Is he serious? <laughs> so, the thought was that as the rabbi walked, the disciples would be so f- closely behind him that the dust from his feet would get on theirs. And this next series of the next three weeks, we're going to be learning how to become disciples of Jesus in increasingly close ways so that the dust from his feet would get on ours. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means we learn to be with him. That speaks to devotion. It means we learn to become like him. That speaks to character. It means we learn to become like him and uh, do what he did. That speaks to mission. So as the dust from Jesus' feet gets on us, we, l- we learn to be with him. We're increasingly devoted to him, which increasingly means our character gets formed and changed and we're different people, which means that we learn to do what he did. So that's what we're in for over the next three weeks. It's going to be amazing. I want to invite you to, uh, encourage you to invite uh, as many people as you can, and uh, it's going to be a great series. There was a man called Robert Fulgham who wrote a book called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. How many of you feel like that? Pretty much. He found a group of five-year-olds for the study of his book got a group of five-year-olds and he sat them down in a class and he said, hey guys, who of you over here can draw? All the hands went up. I can draw, I can draw. Who of you here can dance? All the hands went up. I can dance. Who of you here can sing? They all grabbed a microphone and they started to sing. There was absolutely nothing they could do. Why? Because they're five and nobody's told them what they can't do yet. And they have a zeal and a passion for life. This same scene played out this last week in our household. Caitlin, who's our eight-year-old daughter, she's practicing for a review, like a concert. And she was showing us some of her dance moves and all that to the Bee Gees. How many of you remember the Bee Gees? Everybody over 60, yes. <laughs> the Bee Gees is great. Great. Yes, I love the Bee Gees. So the Bee Gees was on because uh, it's a soundtrack. And she said, Dad, put Bee Gees on. So we put it on and Pastor Ken was filming and Kate got her stuff done. And then Caleb stands up. He's five. And he spontaneously starts to dance. That guy, Robert Fulgham, who, who uh, wrote that book, called those same five-year-olds back 25 years later, sat them all down in the classroom and said to them, hey guys, who of you can draw? Like a few hands went up. Who of you can sing? A couple hands went up. Who of you can dance? Just a few hands went up. Hardly any. And he asks the question in his book, what happened between the age of five and 30? That's changed them from, I can do anything, like passion for life, to, ah, oh, 
mean, what changes a five-year-old Caleb into like the boring dad? Although I've got cool socks on today, check them out. Happy socks. So what changes, what, what happens to us? What is it that actually just stomps out the life from us? You know? What happens between preschool and adulthood that the God-given passion and joy and zest for living leaves us and by the time we're adults, our passion is all paved over and we seem to have paved over souls. You know how it is, you come to faith, you're a new Christian and everything's amazing and church is amazing and then somehow, and we're not even sure how it happens or when quite it happens, we're not even sure what the turning point is, but our passion just wanes a little bit. Everything just gets a little bit normal and a little bit ordinary. And before you know it, when church was amazing, now all of a sudden we've got more opinions than ideas. And people come to church and if we're not careful, if we're not, if we're not staying fresh and if we're not staying challenging as a church, people come to our church and they'll look at the people in our church and they'll go, geez, who died here? Because we've forgotten to proclaim the message that somebody actually rose. Are you with me? They can come and look at our faces and go, oh, who, who snuffed your light out? Are you with me? You know, it is newlyweds. So they come back straight after honeymoon. You check them in the back of the church, busy making out there. Maybe you don't see them, but I do. And the, and the, the couple's reading Song of Solomon. You know, your breasts are like pomegranates and all sorts of stuff. And then, and then it turns into, you know, nagging wife is like a dripping tap, you know. You know how it goes. You start a new job and you're all fired up for the job. And then like months in, the, then the boss is irritating you. What happens that we lose our passion and our zeal, no matter where we go, no matter what atmosphere we're in, we just get used to things. The longer we live, the less inspired we get and the more opinionated we get. If we're not careful, that's what can happen to us. So what happens to us? I think it's one word. I think it's discouragement. Discouragement takes its toll on us, doesn't it? This is church, so be honest. Raise your hand if you've been discouraged in the last year. Raise your hand if you've been discouraged in the last month. Raise your hand if you've been discouraged in the last week. Don't raise your hand if the source of your discouragement is next to you. Don't do that. Why, why is that exercise important? Because it shows us that discouragement is a universal disease. We all get it. It wasn't a hand in the place that didn't go up. We all get discouraged, don't we? Discouragement's not only a universal disease, it's a repeating disease. We get it more than once. It's a circumstantial disease. It's either because of us, somebody else, or set of circumstances that we get discouraged, but it's linked to our circumstances. It's contagious. You can get discouraged just by looking at some people. That's why you've got to be careful who you surround yourself with because you can just get discouraged just looking at, you know, I can get discouraged if I, uh, preaching if I just look at, not here, but at Edenvale, if I just, <laughs> not second service. 
Not in Boxburg, no. Nobody in Boxburg sits with their arms folded. There's, it doesn't. But it's contagious, hey. You look at some people's faces, you're like, your face is just discouraging. It happens. And it's a deadly disease because it precedes destruction. Nobody says, I'm so, I'm so encouraged about my marriage, I think I'll get a divorce. It's because they're discouraged. Nobody says, I'm so encouraged about the prospects of my company, I think I'll leave. It's because they get discouraged. Pastor Ray Johnston, who we had here a, a, a couple years ago, he runs a, a wonderful church called Bayside Community Church. He said this, he said, discouragement is the anesthetic that the devil uses on a Christian right before he reaches in and carves out their heart and wrecks their future. So how do we recover our passion? How do we recover our five-year-oldness? Come with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I'll read to you from the NIV first and then the second translation. I love the NIV because it's got two great words in it. It says, never be lacking in zeal. How many of you have ever read the word zeal before? It's like not such a modern word these days, but it's a great word. He says, but keep, this is Paul the Apostle. He's writing to the church in Rome and he says, never be lacking in zeal, but what? Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual passion. Keep your spiritual temperature. Keep yourself hot serving the Lord. Now let's look at it in a, a different translation called the Passion Translation. He says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Underline the words, serve the Lord, if you're taking notes this morning. And it's statistically, it's proven that you, more people go to heaven who, who take notes in church. Some people are, is he serious? No. Okay, so be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, okay? Keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Underline boiling hot. Underline the word passion, boiling hot. He goes, radiate. How many of you know that only boiling hot things radiate? With the holy glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement, underline excitement, as you serve him. Two times Paul mentions the word serve in this short little phrase, in these two verses. There's a connection between our service, our serving this world, our serving other people. There's a connection between our serving and our spiritual fervor or our zeal or our excitement. If you want a life that's not mundane, start serving some people. It'll change your life. I love the word zeal, it's, it means this. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. So how do we recover our zeal? How do we recover our fire? How do we live like that? How do we live zealous, fervent? How do we live like five-year-olds that get up and dance and will just do it, doesn't matter who's looking? How do, we, how do we live like people with some passion and with some fire and with people who come to, they, they're in worship, no matter the circumstances, I just, I feel to encourage somebody here this morning. You know, your circumstances should not dictate your worship. My circumstances can't dictate my worship. Because David, the great worshiper, the one who wrote so many of the worship psalms for us, he worshiped deep in the depths of a cave, surrounded by his enemies who wanted to take him out. He worshiped. 
And yet he also worshiped on the mountaintop of victory. Our circumstances don't dictate our worship. You might come to church. Uh, this is real for so many of us. We come to church, we say, I don't feel like worshiping because life's been hard, life's been difficult, I've got challenges, etc." Let me tell you, there's never a better time for you, for you to worship. You might say it feels inauthentic. Don't worry about how it feels. Worship is not how you feel. Worship is you giving God glory. You magnifying Jesus. You lifting his name up. Worship's got nothing to do with us. It's got everything to do with him. You see, when we put him up, when we exalt him, when we magnify him, when we put him in his place, guess what happens? He gives us grace and peace. Uh, peace flows like a river. Grace floods over our lives. But it's when we come to church and say, I don't know if I feel like worshiping, I don't know, and we stand with uh, like folded arms just checking out and, and like that kind of vibe, and, and then we say we, we're unchanged or we didn't connect. The reason we didn't connect is not because Jesus wasn't here, it's because we didn't bring our game. Are you with me? Some of you might have come into this place saying, I don't know if I could feel like I could worship because of X, Y, and Z. There's never a better time. Your worship's never more authentic than when you just open your heart to God, no matter what's going on in your life. Are you with me, 10 o'clock? Is anybody alive in this place? I wanna give you two ways that we can live zealously, fervently, recover our passion and our zeal. Two ways that we can work through discouragement to a life that honors God, a life that's filled with spiritual fervor. Number one is to be with Jesus. I love it. He says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. How do you keep your passion toward him boiling hot? By being close to him, by being with him. I speak to couples all the time. They say, hey, um, so-and-so is gonna go and work for two years in Dubai and we'll stay with the family. I'm like, How, how's your marriage gonna survive? How, how's your connection with your kids gonna continue? No, but it's the only job we can find. Well, then, then move your family across there. But you, you, can't, you can't live a long distance for protracted periods of time and expect your passion and connection to stay boiling hot. Are you with me? You, can't, you just can't do it. Why, why does being with Jesus keep our spiritual fervor? Because nobody who ever was with Jesus left unchanged Nobody ever left his presence bored. Nobody ever left his presence under-challenged. Nobody ever left his presence thinking, I'm gonna go and live a more mundane life. I think, thanks Jesus, I'm into mundanity now. They always left his presence challenged, convicted, loved, words of grace and love spoken over them. They always left his presence more in awe of him. They always left his presence more fervent. They always left his presence massively challenged. Even the rich young ruler who couldn't do what Jesus, he walked away sad. He, he walked away with a passion. It was just a sad passion because Jesus had wrecked him. You see, when you be with Jesus, if you allow him to, he'll wreck you. So how's your being with Jesus? On a scale of one to 10, if I had to say, to you, hey guys, you know, here's a flip chart. Notice like I haven't been with Jesus since the donkeys came out. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> since 19 Futsak, okay? And 10 is I was with him this morning. How's your being with Jesus? This is the central question that Christ following people who are disciples and intending to be followers of Jesus, I mean real followers, not just people who come to church, 
I'm talking about those who want to make a decision to follow him in, in sincerity and in, in, in earnestness. How do, they, how do we be with Jesus in 2018? A couple of practical thoughts. I think the first one, let me give the, you the brutal truth so that you don't think I'm sugarcoating anything. If you want to be with Jesus, it may mean you have to sleep less. I've, man, I've tried lunchtime. I'm thinking, like, I'll, I'll, I'll lock myself away for half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, and I'll, I'll be with Jesus. It never happens. I'm way too, like, wired. I think, oh, I'll do it. Like, just before I get home, I'll, I'll carve out an hour or so of space in my, in my day, and, and then before I get home and the chaos of, like, home life and the busyness of that, I'll do it. It never happens. I'll do it at 9 o'clock at night once everything's done. I'm useless. So I've had to settle early or never. Are you with me? Less sleep, more devotion. Are you with me? If you're not being with Jesus, can I just say to you as openly and honestly, it's probably because you love your sleep too much. So quiet in this Catholic, Mormon, Jehovah Witnessing church. Everybody's like, I love my sleep, now let me sleep now. <laughs> Am I making sense? Are you receiving something this morning? Don't, don't moan about not having time to be with Jesus. Get up earlier. Okay. Like, I know guys who only get up when the sun gets up. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, how do you have a life like that? You can't get up when the sun gets up because it only gets up like past seven. How does anyone get up past seven o'clock? I have kids. It's not, never possible. Am I making sense? A couple of practical ways to keep your spiritual fervor with Jesus. Why don't you put some worship music on while you're in the shower? Or while you're doing your hair? Listen, the ladies, you look lovely. I know it, put, I know it takes work. You're naturally beautiful, but the hair sometimes needs work, you know? While you're doing that, put on some worship music. Put on a podcast. There's so much great teaching out there. So much space and opportunity for that. Our, our podcast app, but there's so much teaching around the world that you can get a hold of. Just with a click of a button, you can start your day right. Why don't you get yourself a new commentary or a new devotional? Some of you have been reading uh, like the My Daily Bread from 1978. <laughs> Since 1978. Why don't you get a new app? There's one called Calm, because it calms you down. Before, like it plays Tweety Birds and Dolphins and stuff. Next thing you know, you've like got your head legs folded. And like, but but we, some, some of us need that to transition us into that space. Why don't you read one passage of Scripture for the whole week and just see what you get out of it? Just one passage. Just see what you can get out of it. Instead of just ah, chapter after chapter after chapter, like, ah, close your Bible, oh. Didn't get much out of it. Stay in one chapter. Just see what God will give you out of that. Freshen it up. Don't, same old, same old, same old. You're going to get the same old, same old results. Why don't you read the Gospels? See what you can see about Jesus from the Gospels. Anytime Jesus speaks, what does that tell you about Jesus? Anytime he, he does something, what does that tell you about him? Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. You could camp for days on Jesus wept. Jesus wept. 
I wonder what he wept about. I wonder if God weeps. He must do because that's the Trinity. God weeps. I wonder what God weeps about. I wonder if I weep when God weeps. I wonder if I make God weep. I wonder how God feels about this. Uh, he wept because he had friends. He had a friendship. That tells me Jesus was a friend. We're not in a relationship with Jesus. We're in a friendship with Jesus because he loved us. So he's, he said, I've called you friends because that's what you are. You with me? Jesus wept. I mean, you could camp in that. Just what, is, what do you get out of that? But you're going to have to get up earlier or stay up later. You're going to have to get yourself seated down with a pen and a, a journal. And you're going to have to open God's word and shoot a prayer to heaven. Holy Spirit, would you show me something from your word today? Teach me, Jesus, I'm being with you. Help me become like you so that I can do what you did. Am I making sense? Why don't you fast for a day? Every time you get hungry, God, I'm so hungry. And then remember a prayer. God, help those who don't have food. God, would you bring that person to faith that I'm praying for? Are you with me? Put away your phone for a day. Every time you're tempted to look at it, pray instead. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Don't take away my phone. Take away my food, but not my phone. I've never done 24 hours. I've done 12, but I've never done 24 hours. But start then somewhere. Instead of scrolling Facebook, read your scripture. Instead of memorizing what other people do on holiday, memorize the word of God. You're with me. It'll encourage you more. You don't need to see your friend in Mauritius on the beach while you're in Boxburg working. Why is being with Jesus so key to our spiritual fervor? Because nobody who was in his presence ever left unchanged. And Paul says twice in that verse, to serve. Second way we can regain that fervor is to serve him by helping other people. Raise your hand if you're not dead yet. <laughs> True as nuts, some of you didn't raise your hand. And all I did was just to prove it. I knew it. I knew you were dead. <laughs> On a more serious note, there must be a reason why you're not dead yet. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, is it just to suck air for another 50 years and then die? Surely not. Like, do you ever think about that? Am I the only one that thinks about that stuff? Surely there must be a reason why I'm alive still. It's not random. The universe didn't decree despite what Oprah said. Okay? Are you with me? It must be because God has want, wanted me to do something here. And some, so many, like young adults particularly, the guys come to me, they're like, I wish I could find my purpose. I wish I could find my place. I wish I could find my lane. I wish I could, I know what God wants to do. I wish God would reveal the grand plan for me. I'll tell you what the grand plan is. Serve somebody. Serve somebody and he'll give you enough light for the next step. Just the next step. Guys, come to me. Guys come to me, I, I want to preach. I go, oh, have you served coffee yet? No, 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 I want to preach. No, no. Have you, have you greeted people? Have you been in the car park? Have you opened gates and doors? Have you, have you served in hospitality? Have you served our guests? No, but, no, but that's not my gift. I don't give a rip what your gift is. I want to see if your gift first is to serve. Don't worry about your future until you started serving people. 
We're like, the grand plan, what's my grand plan? No, the grand plan is that you get down on your knees and serve people. And when you do, guess what? He'll give you more. And he'll give you more. Prove yourself faithful in the little, and you'll be given much. And um, we're here to bring the kingdom of God to earth. To serve him by helping other people. Most Christians never serve God really the way he intended them to. Most Christians never serve God the way he needs them to. You know why? Because I think there's an idol in our 21st century world. And I think this idol is bigger in South Africa possibly than many other places in the world. We've had many idols in the last hundred years. Humanism, materialism, hedonism, you know, doing whatever, whenever, however, you know. You know, the age of the hippies and free love, that was hedonistic. But there's one idol in the 21st century that stands above all others, if you really think it through. It's the idol of safety. And in our country, with our security situation being what it is, if we're not careful, that idol can grow bigger than ever before. What do I mean by the idol of safety? Well, we're so fixated on living safe lives that we never take any risks anytime, anywhere for God or for anybody else ever. Does that make sense? And we live safe lives. We, we live in cotton wool and we're raising cotton wool kids. Helicopter parents that circle their parents, their kids all the time, sniping anybody who wants to hurt their kids. And they raise soft kids in cotton wool and then when they get 18, they come out of the cotton wool into the real world and they're like, oh freak, it's actually not as comfortable as my parents' house. There's actually demands and the world has rough edges and, and, and people rub up against you and that's why millennials are struggling so much. That's why there's so much anxiety and depression. It's because they have no idea how to navigate the world they live in because they've only ever lived in their parents' house. That's why there's more and more 40-year-olds in their parents' house because the big wide world is just so incredibly scary. Guys don't know how to navigate it. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they've been raised soft in a hard world. So they get to the, world, the working world, they can't even send an email. They can't even, they, they can't even um, concentrate on a task for half an hour. They can't figure out a, 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 how to solve a problem. Five minutes and like, I need help. No, you don't need help. You just need to stick it through. Are you with me? And so we create a safe world and a safe society at the expense of serving others. That's why some... Like if I had to take a poll, I won't do it, but if I had to say to you, hey, of all the white folks in the church here, who of you have ever been to an informal settlement? Who of you have ever taken a taxi anywhere? You know? Why? Because we're fixated, obsessed with our safety. And as long as you and I commit to safety, we can never commit to the purposes of God because God's purposes are not safe. Does that make sense? I love Pastor Ray Johnson, he said this, we are the most seat-belted, air-bagged, peanut-avoiding, gluten-free, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated generation in history. <laughs> it's true. And we put such a premium on safety that we, we think, well, if we can just stay safe, we'll stay alive. I mean, I want to tell you, weird stuff can happen. 
You know, a lot of sermon preparation is very hard and, and tedious work, but there was some, something cool that I had to do this last week. I Googled freak accidents. It was the best. <laughs> when you hear some of them. So this guy, John Bowen, in 1979, he attends a, foot, a, a, a baseball game at Chase Stadium in New York City. He attends this game, and during halftime, they're all like taking recess, the teams are busy regrouping and whatever, and he's trying a hot dog, and they do a demonstration during halftime of a, a remote-controlled flying lawnmower. But the demo didn't go well, and it flew into him, into his head. He was sitting eating a hot dog, watching the big screen, boom, and he died. Gone. In the safety of a football stadium, or baseball stadium. That's not bad enough. Humberto Hernandez in 2007, he discovered that walking is quite unsafe. He was walking along the pavement when a nearby car came and took out a fire hydrant that was close to him. The pressure from the fire hydrant lifted the hydrant up and flew along the sidewalk or the pavement and struck him on the head, killed him instantly. You can get killed walking on your pavement. Now we live in Boxburg, we know that. And in Brackpan, you can get killed just looking out your window. <laughs> we love you, Brackpan. Everybody from Brackpan? There we are. A guy called John Desborough in 1999, he was a, a physical education teacher, an athletics coach. One of his team threw the javelin. All, all John did was he ran to go and retrieve the javelin. As he, as he ran to retrieve it, he tripped. And the, 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 the blunt end of the javelin, the one sticking out of the ground, impaled him through his, through his eye, skewered his brain, and he died. The point is this. <laughs> I feel like, tell me the point. You can think you're safe, and you're not. We can, we can be as committed to our safety, and I'm not, I'm not talking about safety and security. Are you with me? I'm, t I'm talking about saying to God, you can use me to go wherever, whenever, however. Some of us have never crossed the poverty line into like an informal settlement because we don't know. Those people are unsafe. We don't know how they smell. We don't know how they think. We don't know how they speak. We don't know how they react. We don't know how they feel. We don't know, we don't know how they, what to do with them. So we've got a, a great opportunity to, to live unsafe this coming week. This coming Saturday, we're going to serve the city in honor of Mandela Day, but more importantly, in, in honor of Jesus. Because listen to what Matthew 25, 20, 45 says. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, whatever you do, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So on Saturday, everybody's going to meet at the church at 8.30. You're going to come into the auditorium, we're going to pray, we're going to get commissioned, stuff's going to get explained to you. And you're going to go out with a team leader that you'll be assigned to. That team leader knows exactly where to go, what they're doing. That team leader will keep you safe. Okay? And we're going to go to serve widows at children's homes, orphans um, at children's homes, widows at, at uh, old age homes, serve those in hospital, serve those in prison. There's a very specific team going for the prison because they only let a few people in and have to get ID numbers cleared and all that, and because we've got so few people in the church without a criminal record, we, were, we weren't able. <laughs> we could only get five people together. And, uh, I'm kidding. 
But we are going to the prisons, we're trusting for that, and to the hospitals, to old age homes, orphanages, children's homes, um, and to serve the least of these. Let me tell you this, you'll never discover what it is to be with Jesus like when you look into the eyes of somebody who needs love. So here's what you have to do. If you're uh, here today, under your left or right bum cheek, wherever you positioned it, or however big your bum is, it doesn't matter, um, find the little card. If you want to sign up for, for Serve the City, you have to sign up today. You can't rock up on the day and say, hey, I'm here to do a project because we need to allocate numbers of people. So you have to sign up. Did you hear me? What did I just say? You have to sign up. Can you come on the day just summer? No. The only, the only time you can come on the day is the second project that's going to be running and it's going to be uh, so significant is we get to save lives with the SANBS. You can come. You don't need to sign up for this. You can come to the church here. And even if you're not going out with a team, you can still donate blood. Um, every one pint that you donate saves three lives. Pastor Steve's on 101 pints he's given over his life. Isn't that amazing? Well done. So you can do that. So you can come, go out with your team, come back to church, donate blood. You can do that as well. There's no shortage of, of stuff. You might say it's unsafe to have a needle stuck in my arm. Absolutely. But imagine the safety you'll bring to the three people whose lives you're going to change. So you can either choose to be safe or you can choose to be significant. The choice is ours. Hey, everybody good? Are you hearing something this morning? Receiving something? Action step for the day. I will decide to live with zeal to keep my spiritual passion hot by being with Jesus and by serving him by helping other people. Let me say it again. I'll decide to live with zeal, keep my spiritual passion hot by being with Jesus and serving him by helping other people. Isn't that an awesome opportunity that we have on Saturday? So remember to sign up before you leave today. Let's pray, shall we? This series, The Dust From His Feet, is all about being a disciple of Jesus. It's all about learning how to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and eye closed. Because we want to give people, the reason why we do this is to give people an opportunity to respond. And so we make the environment comfortable for people to respond in. So if that's you this morning, and you say, I, I couldn't class myself as a follower of Jesus. I couldn't really call myself a disciple of Jesus, but this morning I want to. I'm going to ask you this morning if you would give me the great privilege of letting me know who you are so I can pray for you. It's the best decision you would ever make. To decide to follow Jesus is hands down the best decision you could ever make with your life. There's nothing that's as significant as making that decision. Thank you. Some of you are already starting to respond. That's wonderful. I'm going to ask you just on the count of three. Thank you so much. Just on the count of three, those of you who want to respond, ready to respond and just show me who you are. Ready? One, two, three. Hands up all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Balcony, thank you. Thank you, sir, up in the balcony. I can see you as well. Come, keep responding, everybody. If you haven't responded yet, you want to do that, this is your time. This is your moment. Thank you, young lady over here. I can see you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Come, if you haven't responded yet, thanks at the back. Thank you, sir, at the back. I can see you back right there. Thank you. 
balcony, I'm looking up at you guys. If there's anybody that wants to respond there this morning, make the best decision ever. Thank you, young lady over there. I can see you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? That's great. That's awesome. Come church, let's pray together. Are you ready? You know the reason we do this? Is to help give words and be a community around the people that are making a decision this morning for the first time. Come, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, this morning, I commit to following you, to being with you, becoming like you, and doing what you did. This morning, I turn away from anything that's not honoring to God, pleasing to you, or good for my life, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.